Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today we get to welcome the incredible Mark Patterson to the show. Uh, Mark is a former NFL player for the Raiders, Rams, and Saints. He is a top uh, executive for Sports Illustrated Magazine, and he is one of two NFL players to scale the summits, the seven summits, including Everest, and uh, it's uh, great to have you on here, Mark. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, glad to be here. And so kind of before we hit record here, the I was telling you about we had Pete Koch on the show, and incredible human being. Um, and one of the topics we kind of really hit home on is this idea that people, when they reach the top, whether someone like yourself, when you, once you reach the NFL, like you can't get any higher for professional football. Mm. And the, but the people that when they retire, whether it's old age or injury or they just get tired of the sport, what do those people do to reach another level, whether mind or physical? And someone like Pete, he does all this stuff with fitness and health now for people and how to defeat age and old age. Well, someone like you, you at the top of the sport, now what do you do to create that same type of excitement and drive? And it's, it's super fascinating that you did something that not a lot of people on earth could even attempt to try, even fathom it. And so I kind of want to start at that point where it's like, where did you, is this drive or motivation something you've always had and that you needed these different parts of your life to happen the way they did to finally push that potential? Yeah, no, <clears throat> these are all great questions. And, and uh, I really haven't spent that much time thinking about it because when I sit back and I think about things I'm going to take on, I don't really think about it necessarily in terms of what would impress somebody else, right? It's just more where I'm at and the space I'm in uh, at that particular moment. I think the NFL, my college football stuff, is a great example of that, you know, kind of one thing led to another, to another, to another. I ended up actually playing Pete. He played for the University of Maryland. We played them in the uh, Alaho Bowl, the, the first inaugural Alaho Bowl way back, uh, way back in the, in the day. And, and, you know, kept progressing through the ranks. I was really influenced by our head coach, Don James. He created this thing called the Period of Success. And so um, I was always good at sports, but I really didn't know how to excel or be the best version of myself, um, really without his guidance and, and, and his leadership in terms of what that actually meant, how to get the grit, the determination, um, how to build your body, how to create that mindset. These are all things I really had to learn, probably no different than the Navy SEAL or something when they go in. And so as I progressed, you know, kind of from football and then kind of now what I think that's where a lot of guys get stuck. You know, you mentioned that before their pinnacle in their life, their Mount Everest of their time ends when before they're 30, they they're lucky enough right. to get at the NFL. And for me, it's just like, it was more about the challenge. Could I do something or could I not do that? Um, I ended up starting a number of companies coming out of, uh, and the, out of the NFL, they're all multi-million dollar. One was venture back. We sold it. And it was just like the power of curiosity of like, how do I get the point B and then to point C and then D and so on and so forth and attacking these things as, as they would go. Um, and then part of the, I think life too, is just circumstance. 
and the circumstance that you happen to fall yourself you fall into and what are you going to do about it and how are you going to react and then you know how do you make uh, lemonade out of lemons that that come your way and we all get the lemons we all get them right and so um i've just chosen some things that have been somewhat high profile there's been a little bit of luck in there and there's been a lot, whole lot of circumstance. But the part of that, and I'm always fascinated when people bring up luck is like, you still have to put the time in to even be, have that right person see at the right time. Or be, I mean, obviously a lot of what we do is who, you know, uh, who you don't know, who's always watching you. And someone takes that chance on you because they know how you act or you don't know they're looking, but for someone that is it better, do you think to chase wait for that lucky moment or to just push yourself to be, I, I guess, could you be who you are today without any luck or would that just, if you didn't have the luck, would it just take more effort and time on your end? So back in, uh, gave myself here a little bit, but back in 1987 or 88, and we were just crushed it. And I was playing for the new Orleans Saints, and the head coach at the time, Jim Moore got, got up. We'd won like 10 games in a row we were going to win the division and people said, Hey, and, and to that point for anybody who, you know, knows about the history of the saints, they're good now, but yeah. there was 20 years where they hadn't won a game. Right. Or uh, they had a winning season. So, um, so now he kind of walks in the room and says, you know, um, I just want to comment on this comment that's been floated out there right now that everybody's calling us lucky. Well, show me a loser that's ever been lucky. Right. The reason why you're lucky is because you put yourself in a position to succeed. And once you do that, I was very fortunate to be on the winning end of a number of big high profile catches at the end of the game. You know, we'd won against Michigan and Oklahoma and other things. And and I, I was able to <clears throat> to uh, come down with these kind of last second jump over the defender in the back of the end zone, come down as time ran out and we win the game. And, and, and a lot of people said, you're lucky, because they just saw me kind of from my high school highlights into my college highlights. And what they didn't know is that I'd run that play a thousand times over and over and over and over and over. And so even though that, that moment was epic and those moments were epic, it was because of the reputation, uh, repetition that I had done. When I was on Mount Everest last year, I'd been climbing on and on and on and over and over and again and again. I mean, there's nobody who pushed me harder, harder than... Than, than myself, I climbed over 150,000 feet, vertical feet before I went up to Mount Everest. And I got into a heck of a pickle, especially on summit day, where I had to tap into that. Now, at the end of the day, um, I've got buddies who are coming back from, from Everest right now. One of the guys just got flown off of, of Camp Two, it's 21,500 wow. feet. I guess he was unlucky, but he didn't put the kind of training into it that I did, no way. And I, I know that because he lives here in Sun Valley. Um, and I just, you know, I put all those nuggets in the bank to put myself in that position to then become lucky. So I'm going back to your old point. It just didn't happen. I think luck to me is when you win the lotto. That's being lucky. Things I've done, there's no been nobody harder that has worked harder at those that particular craft, whether it's been football, mountain climbing, or sports illustrated, than me. I'm the first one to show up, I'm the last one to leave, and I'm putting the most work. It's a obviously a testament that shows like what your output's been and you've also been very open about 
going through the relationship stuff uh, with divorce, separation, and then yeah. your daughter uh, who has epilepsy. And so all these yeah. little things in your life too, outside of what you, you were doing at the time, whether it's football or mountaineering, there's a lot of people I know that maybe could have done what you've done, maybe not mountaineering, but process everything, all the hardships and still focus on that. When you are playing football or doing your stuff for Sports Illustrated or, about, or trying to climb a mountain and you have a bad day at home, say your daughter's sick or there's an issue with one of your businesses, like how are you able to separate that noise from it having interfere what you're trying to accomplish where you do it then? Yeah, that's another great question. I, I think I, I, my, and my mom used to say this about me, like growing up, she says I could be in the middle of a freeway and if there was a ball coming at me, I could still catch it and put it away, you know? And it's just, for some reason or another, I've just been able to really focus on the task at hand and what matters in that particular moment. Many of these things, as we know, you can't control that are outside. Um, 10 years ago, how I got into mountain, mountaineering was I was going through a bad time. And every single day I woke up and my hope of that particular day was that this is the first day towards a new beginning that things are going to get a heck of a lot better. Now they didn't, but I didn't dwell on, you know, how awful things were they got. And I didn't dwell on my daughter's epilepsy, which by the way, in the last year and a half, she's not had a seizure after experiencing seizures every single day for 17 years. So it's miraculous. But again, every day I was just like, in her case, it was just like, maybe today's a new day towards she's going to be healed. We're going to find another medicine. And slowly, 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 these things kind of evolved that way. And slowly, you know, I was able to get myself out, redirect that energy, go attack mountains and get excited about life again. So I'm not saying my life's perfect. I'm not saying every day I jump up for joy, but when it comes to work or other relationships, I can put it in the zone and I can focus on it and I can go on to the next thing that's, you know, that's out there. A lot of, t a lot of people will look at an obstacle of their day, whether it's work, home, whatever it'd be like, they get, they feel like they got to climb a mountain. Will you actually do climb those mountains? So when, you, if the, when you're at the base of that first mountain, when you start this, this quest through the seven summits, was there any, was there any moment in those first couple of times before you got to the halfway mark where you're like, man, what am I doing? Is this possible? Uh, I can just turn around. No one will care. So was there ever that moment or, cause, or was this something where it's like you needed this for yourself? I need it for myself, but it was just, again, I didn't look at the whole thing as seven songs because it just seems so daunting and, you know, yeah. a long time, you know, when you started from ground zero. Um, and, and this is the way I've always been. And you're like, the only person I'm cheating at the end of the day, if I decided to take a shortcut, I don't want to go to the top. I want to turn around is me. That's the only person that when I look in the mirror, I've got this, this little guy up there that's like, like, who are you fooling? You, you know, I might eat, you know, an ice cream cone or something. And this is me just being weird, but an ice cream cone. And I'm like, okay, I just ate that. Now I have to go run it off. Right. right. And it's just like, some people are just wired differently like that. But um, I think the thing that's a beautiful thing about mountain climbing, it's so metaphoric in terms of business and life. You know, when you start talking about, you know, literally just one foot, one step after another, as you make your way up and I can literally, especially with the amount of weight that you have a lot of times when you're carrying these things up the mountain, you know, it's hard to like look up until you finally take a time out and you kind of enjoy your surroundings. But you know, that kind of pace over pace, foot over foot, step by step going up the hill, you know, that 
has truly kept me in the zone and staying present. Um, all the while I'm processing stuff in my mind, you know, it's just great to me, it brings great, great clarity and, and problem solving and creativity when you're out there, you're doing all these things. And so one by one, and the thing that was interesting about it is that uh, just my personality, I thought, okay, there's seven mountains at seven years. And it took me about 10 years to do it. And I didn't, I didn't bank that there would be this thing called um, a pandemic, right? So that knocked out the world in 2020 when I was supposed to go to Everest into this last year, 2021. And then I was on Denali in 2017. I got pushed back by minus 80 degree weather up there. So I had to come back again and do it all over again. And the thing that's a bitch about that, and that's one that I really didn't want to go back, but I had to go. I mean, there's just like, right. there's no, there's no other way around it except through it. And, and I had to go back there and, you know, you're carrying 137 pounds up that mountain and it's steep and it's cold and it's a lot of things. And it's, it's hard. It is hard, but you know, hard things are hard. And once you've got to get your mind around hard things are wrong, I think that creates that mindset about what you're going to be in for. You talked about controlling what you can control, but with events like that, where it's obviously there's a COVID, you've had a COVID outbreak, uh, gear, oxygen issues, weather issues. Like what, how tough is it to reset yourself where it's like, Hey, we can't, we can't go further today or we have to come back. Like, is it, 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 for me, it would seem super frustrating because you you know you're physically ready, or is or is maybe this something where some an outside force say, hey, it's just not your time yet, or it's not meant to be. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all all those things. I mean, like on 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 uh, well, in general, one of the things about mountain climbing that people don't understand, mountain climbing is really as much about the waiting game, right? Because you go up. And then you have to go back down and then you have to take a rest and you have to go up and because you're constantly acclimating your body and trying to build red blood cells and things like that. And sometimes there's weather issues where you just got to take a time out and, you know, on, on uh, Denali, I mean, we're in these massive snowstorms, you know, for days where snow feet on end and, you know, you're in there on, on Everest last year, I got up to camp three, um, 23,500 feet on a 45 degree slope. And we're there for three days because we're in the middle of, we are in the eye of the storm of a, uh, of a cyclone, which is basically a hurricane with snow. And, you know, you're just laying in your tent, can't go anywhere, can't do anything. You're just laying there and you just got to figure out a way to stay present in those moments and think about the big picture. What are you trying to get accomplished? Not where do you want to go in that particular moment? Now, obviously, you're familiar with teamwork and the football and stuff, but when it comes to the team that helps you to climb these mountains and stuff, like what's the, was there a lot, what were the similarities and differences in terms of like you have the center in football or the quarterback, but are those type of roles in the team as in terms of mountain climbing? It really is. You know, um, it, 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 it's, it's interesting because on Everest is different from all the others because you, you're, you're there kind of more. In, in one sense, you're not tethered to other people. You're tethered to the mountain, you're tethered to a rope called a fixed line. And so as you're going up and down, I'm, I don't have to uh, rely on so many people. Part of my frustration for the last several years on all these other mountains I've done is that I have trained like an animal and ready to go and usually the fittest and the strongest. And then I get there and there's always somebody who's not nearly at that level, hasn't put in the kind of preparation for whatever reason. And so then I end up going only as fast as your weakest link, right? 
And so in the sense of that team where you're tethered, right. you know, four or five guys on a rope, you know, you can only go so fast and trying to get up some of these different ice walls has made it super frustrating. I had a guy, unfortunately, he, he died on Everest, but I climbed with him, you know, on, uh, on um, uh, Denali. I had another, I'm sorry, in, in Antarctica, I had another similar experience, which I'll share here in a second on, on Denali, which is, you know, you climb, you climb, you climb, you're going up these steep mountains, you're carrying all this kind of weight on your back, and then you pull into camp. And a lot of times that's kind of where it all really starts because you got to set up your tents, you got to set up kind of a mess hall tent, you got to build ice walls um, around so you can block the snow. And I've been in these situations where others have just sat down like, you know, I'm just going to sit this one out. And we're all tired, right? Like get your ass right. off because again, it's a team thing where you're not coming together as a team to create this thing because we all want to jump in our tents and jump in our sleeping bags and get warm and get something to eat, but it is what it is. And that's just part of the mountaineering game. That's what makes it frustrating. And these, I've got these different friends um, that are f fairly famous around the world. And, you know, they're, they're sponsored by the North Faces of the World and, and things yep. like that at Beasters and these guys. And the beauty is that they can pick their own teammates. And that's the way you want to go. But I'm not in that, that category. You know, I was just another guy out there trying to climb. And so you end up going and you have people coming in from all over the world. So it, it just makes it frustrating that way sometimes if you don't get the right lot of people that are really compatible about the way they attack the mountain. There's some, there's like this beautiful tragedy to Everest because every time you see pictures or you hear these people going up there, the people have, a lot of people have died doing, trying to do what you did. And when you get to the top of that yourself, do you feel like, what, what are your thoughts? Like what's the first thing you say to yourself or your team? Or do you feel like the weight of these spirits up there where you're kind of like, you did something that a lot of humans have attempted to do and didn't make it. It's like, it's gotta be some sort of weird type of mental, like just relief, like losing, just lose your mind somewhat. Yeah, I know you do. And a lot of people have, you know, mixed reactions up there, you know, going back to this guy, Don Cash, who I climbed with in Antarctica in 2019, that was January. And then in April, um, he went to Mount Everest and he went with an inexperienced, uh, very cheap uh, outfitter, uh and ended up costing his life and so you know when i'm up now around the hillary step which is probably uh just under twenty-eight thousand feet uh actually just under twenty-nine thousand feet um you know i literally stepped over don he's still laying there in his suit and you know it's surreal and and i just kept saying to myself focus because you do not want to end up like that person and then i've seen people once they get to the top you know, and by the way, I was only up there with one other Sherpa climbing at the top. And when I got there, there was about five others. And then there's five left. And then my Sherpa left. So I was the last guy standing up by myself, like looking That's around, awesome. like, okay, where's everybody, right? <laughs> like, it's just me. And, and, but as I'm sitting there, I was so exhausted because I hadn't eaten in three days. You know, I'd been in that cyclone and we're eating these freeze dried food, which is awful. Um, it doesn't go down my system very well. And, you know, and I was struggling so much in that way that just climbing straight up so steep and going up and all those elements and climbing through the night. And now it's, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, after being up since 11 o'clock the night before and, and uh, with the altitude and everything else, I just was having a hard time just finding the, all the joy and what I right. just accomplished because I knew I was going to be into it for another bunch of hours. As it turned out, I was out there for 18 hours straight. 
And I was just whooped. I mean, like whatever anybody else that is listening to this or yourself, that you've gone and done a marathon or a 10K or done, done something physical where you've, you've taken yourself to that final point, you know, you just, and it wasn't till like that next day or two as I was coming off the mountain, I just like the, the enormity of what I just pulled off, you know, really hit me. How much of a duty do you have as a fellow climber, like in terms of like conservation or like people leaving trash or debris, like, is there, is there an unwritten law or rule where you kind of like, don't leave your campsites messy or like, I mean, how does that work? Yeah. You know, I've heard a lot about that and I think they've done a great job, you know, of really trying to clean that up. Um, I don't know what it was like in the past, but there wasn't that much considering how many people were up there and all the Sherpas and everything else. They were doing a heck of a job of flying the trash in and out on these different helicopters and keeping things pretty, pretty clean. You know, the only place where I saw some remnants of things that you might be talking about were at Camp 4, 26,500 feet. And, you know, these are more like tin cans and, and they're not everywhere. So you don't feel like it's super trashy up there, but it's just a hostile environment. You know, just the tents alone, many of them are just thrashed. I mean, like torn apart because that, you know, most of the time of the year, except for two weeks, it's not even a defined two weeks, but theoretically, you know, a couple of weeks during right now, during May, um, uh, the, the jet stream rises. So the jet stream is blowing two to 300 miles per hour. So if you can imagine a tent yeah. in a jet stream, it just rips holes through it and everything else. And so um, I, I would, you know, based on, on what I saw, why I experienced it's not as bad, but it is a little bit of a war zone up there just because of the environment where you're at and trying to get stuff off and you can't fly helicopters up there. And it is super steep to get off of 26,000. You know, you have to go back down to the low two wall, low two face. And that's a, that's a almost a, not 50 degree, but pretty close 40, 40 degree plus ice wall going straight up. And so trying to haul things on your back, you know, makes it more challenging, but I think the Sherpa community in general has done a great job of really trying to clean things up, up, up there. In terms, when you're active doing your traveling for the say sports illustrator, your, your keynote speaker, all that stuff, yeah. how, how often are you able to do the training? You need? like, are you always at that level where if you needed to climb a mountain, like you could gear up to it and just keep doing it on the road. Like how do you kind of go up and down with your training? when you have all the other commitments? Um, it just never stops. I mean, I'm totally committed to it. I train twice a day, five days a week. And then my days off are Saturday and Sunday, and I just train once. And so those are my days off, what I consider. And, you know, the best part of my day is when I'm out there breathing the air and climbing straight up. Um, that's what I enjoy. But, you know, it's priorities. It's, it's everybody, uh, um, you know, prioritizes their day in different, different ways, right, on what they want to do and how they want to go about doing it. And where maybe somebody wants to watch TV, I fill that space with, with climbing straight up in, in the afternoon, like this morning when people are sleeping, I'm moving. And so it, it, I think some of that has to do with, I can, I can adjust to you know, time zones. I don't require a lot of sleep, which everybody's system is different. So not everybody can do that. Um, and what actually energizes me, not makes me more tired, is when I'm out and, and getting air into my brain and thinking about things that helps me kind of set the day, set the tone for the day on my energy and what I'm going to do and how I'm going to go about doing it. 
in terms of like the, the temperature changes and the weather conditions, are you able to tr- simulate that before you get up there? Or is it like, how do you go about getting ready for that type of stuff? Um, you know, I, I've, I've, a lot of people tease me often when I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the local stuff now, because I always carry a backpack and I always have a bunch of stuff in it. And I've been in every situation you can possibly imagine. And um, I just know that things change all the time, the weather, um, what you're doing. And so I always have my what's just in case gear, right? And now I'm not taking that to a stream. I'm not, I don't have right. my Mount Everest one piece suit, you know, like when I'm going right. up on a day that's 30 degrees here in some valley. But at the same time, I'm always layering in a way that I'm being smart about what I'm, what I'm putting up going up and what I'm putting on a little heavier stuff, you know, going down and having an extra set of mittens and a, and a hat and, you know, just the right kind of stuff, the nutrition, it all matters. And, you know, you, you look at people, you know, the reason why some succeed and others don't, it's all these little things. And a lot of those little things, like I failed at on, on Summit Day of Everest, where I didn't do many of the things that I normally do. And so small things get way magnified, the higher you get. So, um, you know, being prepared and really understanding and experience matters. If you had to climb Denali again or Everest, whatever it is, would you have the same reaction to climbing it the second time? And I guess the second part question for that, do you ever, after a climb, do like a Monday quarterback type thing where you're like, I should have done this better to save more time or I could have done this differently? Like, do you ever go through those thoughts? Not really, because it's just that, you know, it's not like a basketball court where it's a defined length and width and the basket's always 10 feet high. You know, it's always changing. And as you go around the globe, which now I have, you know, the seven summits, as you mentioned, in the opening basically means the seven continents, which represent the earth and, and, and all these different time zones, you know, the weather and the climate and the air and everything else is so much different. Um, as you go and you just have to be ready to adjust and, and, but again, there's no substitute for the preparation that you put in just to put yourself in a position to be on day one, to start up the mountain. And then, you know, at the end, then you're thinking about, okay, what's the weather look like? What's going on? What do I need to eat? And kind of my, my whole weak point has always been nutrition, meaning the higher you go, your appetite gets suppressed and the less you want to eat and the higher you go also, you can't bring like a cheeseburger and fries up there, right? There's not right. ice cream stands, you know, on the corner. And so um, the way that they, that they um, um, compensate for that is by, again, having this freeze dried. So you go to the store, the REIs, and you pick up this stuff and all you have to do is pour hot water on it. Well, it's, they, they put these fancy packages on it like spaghetti, or lasagna or something else that sounds pretty good. If you're in a nice restaurant, you know, you're in a chart house or something, you, you fired up a steak, but it's just basically sawdust with a little bit of flavoring and then you pour the hot water on it. And so, I mean, I was literally gagging this stuff up, up on Everest. And so I didn't eat much the last, I don't know, 72 hours or something. And to try to go climb something as physically demanding as that or Denali or some of these other places, you know, that's a hard road, road to hoe, you know, with no energy in your system. The other interesting thing, too, that you do, you kind of tied into your philanthropy work with the epilepsy and higher ground and your daughter, Amelia, and 
I think you raised like just the, basically just under 30,000 uh, for the after kind of to mimic the height of Everest. And well, actually, 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 it's to all, all in, it's about 160 grand now. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And so it's kind of cool that you're able to do this thing for yourself and what you're trying to do, but serve the bigger picture, which is raise awareness for epilepsy and kind of raise funds for. A, a a thing that is affecting one in 26 people and so it's kind of talk about that where it's the 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 philanthropy of idea behind these type of things is super fascinating to me yeah well it is you know i really didn't put that much you know at the time going back 10 years it, it was really about mark trying to get healed coming off this divorce right. and everything and something i didn't want and something that happened but something you have to deal with and then I got into it about, I don't know, maybe three or four years into it. And I'd climbed, it, my whole idea at the time was climbing one big mountain a year. And I'd, I'd, I would, I'd gotten three or four mountains under my belt. And I got um, contacted by Chris Long. He played 10 years in the NFL. Yes. He is the son of Howie Long. And he started this organization called Water Boys. And Water Boys was all about um, trying to bring money and awareness and water wells to the people um, in East Africa, in particular at the time, it's, it's gotten much bigger, but in Tanzania. And so uh, he invited me to go down in his first class. And I went with five or six other NFL guys and some military people. And we raised a bunch of money, I think $46,000 on that one personally. Um, and, and we went into the, the, the Serengeti and, you know, we're in these huts with these, People in Maasai tribe, they're wonderful, they're amazing. And then afterwards, we, went, we climbed um, Kilimanjaro, but it really opened my eyes in terms of philanthropy and giving back and not just giving to Red Cross and where's that money going, but actually being there, seeing the joy, seeing the happiness, seeing what just a water, a basic water well. So these, these young girls who typically would go down to the rivers many miles away, get raped or get attacked by lions and other animals, you know, could safely be in the village and, and they could celebrate right. that. And so um, as my, my daughter, this was, I was involved with Water Boys for a couple of years and my, my, my daughter got very mission critical. We had to pull her out of the University of Arizona. Um, and, the, and the miracle of all this is this last week and I was just down at graduation for her to celebrate this amazing awesome. achievement. Yeah, just that it is awesome. But I was just like, you know, it's, it's awesome and it's great that I'm helping out Chris, but but I need to help out my daughter. And so I dialed up the Epilepsy Foundation and one thing led to another. And, and ultimately I started helping a group here called Higher Ground. And we started making donations and, and talking to people and creating some fundraisers. And, and you know, the NFL ended up pitching in, the Raiders ended up pitching in, but it, it, it just became clear to me that even though originally it was about me and trying to get healed, I found that I was getting a lot of attention because of my NFL past, tying that into to, to mountain climbing, especially with Mount Everest, the NFL coming out, wanting to do a, a feature film on me and, and documentary, which is now up for best picture. We find that out on Tuesday. And, and where I could net, redirect that light onto others and see what I could do to help in, in that way. And like I said, the miracle out of all this is that my own daughter is healed and so many other people are benefiting right. from those dollars. And there's that awareness from what we've been able to do based on, you know, this mountain climbing stuff that, you know, I got into, you know, 10 years ago. It's fascinating that the NFL, like you picture this huge 
conglomerate of just billions and billions of dollars that they're still so in tune with individual prior athletes retired, even if they're the year in the thing for a year and they choose to quit to go become a nurse or a doctor. It's just, it's gotta be cool to be, I mean, people will say what they want about the NFL and all this stuff, especially the last couple of years, like, Oh, screw the business owner, like whatever it is. But that the NFL and most, obviously I think the, uh, the big four, they are very community based. And I do think it's really cool how, the players association, whoever can do these cool things, whether it's with Chris or with you at higher ground, like there's, there's something to that where they care enough that, yeah, you, you, you played for these teams and you played for the cities, but let's, how can we help these individuals help their smaller communities? I think that's really cool. Yeah. It didn't always be that way either. You know, it, it, it certainly when I retired, you just went off the cliff and I would give them <laughs> super duper high kudos for developing um, there's a guy named Tracy Perlman who's really led the charge. But for the NFLPA, you know, they've really, they've really developed programs now for the 10,000 plus anywhere from mental health to health benefits to um, uh, seminars on how to be a coach to broadcasting to financial services to all these different things. Now, most of these things I've never had, fortunately, I've, I've never had to tap into. I wouldn't say fortunately or unfortunately, but it's just you know, I've, I've kind of right. charted my own path, but the bottom line is that for so many guys who haven't been able to really understand how to transfer that energy that they had in football to something that's really going to, you know, take them the rest of their life and have some joy and happiness and, and have a, a sense of, of, of passion and purpose. Um, I think the NFL has done a heck of a job at really uh, redirecting and, and making that as much more of a focus and a priority so that they, they can reach back and they can help people like me. In my case, again, it, it was for a, you know, philanthropy and there's a, there's a giving arm that they have where they can do matches and all that kind of stuff. And it was just really cool. And, and somehow or another, my, you know, I was, in terms of the NFL, I mean, sometimes, you know, you got your Joe Namus and Joe Montana's and, and John Elway's and Tom Brady's of the world and they're superstars, but there's not many superstars. Like most of the guys were like me, they, 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 they came and they went, we, we had our time and it was amazing to be there and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's really about what you're going to do in life moving forward. And that's been the, the wonderful thing that this climbing um, really made my NFL days relevant again, enough to then turn around and go out and help people of which I could pull them in to help, you know, in terms of fundraising and awareness um, and then some of the causes that, that I was behind and, and still am. And you mentioned the, obviously the documentary is good for best picture and a bunch of awards, but when they first approach you to film this, are you, is there any, is there any fear on your end or are you just kind of like, Hey, let's just document all of this. Let's show us as real as possible. No, there wasn't any fear that the, they, this is again, this is again, maybe a little luck in this. Um, but I put myself in this position again, but you know, if I had gone in 2020, there would not have been any, any documentary. And the fact that, it pushed everything out. I had to train, you know, double my training time for two years, just on Everest, which I really ramped things up. Um, but I got a call in January, 2021. And they said, Hey, we want to come over. We want to do this, this, this documentary. Um, the name of it is called searching for the summit. And the beautiful part about that is that they didn't really know the story. They just knew about some ex shock that yeah. was climbing mountains and that was it. And for anybody that, that, that watches the film, it's really not about that. It's this beautiful story about 
yes, how I did get in the mountain, but but my daughter comes a big part of this 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 reason of my why of my drive how I was able to successfully get off the mountain when everything that you could possibly ever not want to go wrong went wrong on that particular day, and they didn't know this was all real time, and so you know half the story was still being written as I was coming off the mountain. Now I did most of the photography, you know, the all the yep. GoPro up there, and I was. And, and um, you know, getting back to, to, uh, to Los Angeles and doing a recap and then them taking all these little extracts, these pieces, these things that they'd found when they came out to Sun Valley in, in January or February of 2021, before I went off to Mount Everest and talking with me, talking to my buddy, Jim Mora, coach, caught the mountaineering expert, uh, Ed Vesters, and they all had these little nuggets and you put all these people kind of separately in a room, all kind of slightly telling the same but different story, and then watching this thing play out. It was like it was it was, it was really cool. like a reality TV in, in the yep. sense that you don't know who's going to win, Survivor, and all these things happen when these people are on these different islands. And then at the very end, there's a story to be told, and that's the way it all played out. And now it's up for two Emmys. Just it's just awesome. And so if someone wants to support higher ground or what are your initiatives whether it's water boys or whatever you're doing is what's the best way for them to do that is this something where they just go to your social media or the social media pages or website just check it out yeah the best place is mark pattison nfl.com p-a-t-t-s-o-n mark pattison nfl.com you can go to that website and there's a big huge red button that says check out the trailer and then you go check out the trailer and right there is the the uh the link to the film if you want to see it. it's 30 minutes, it, it's, it's great. And I'm not saying it's great because it's about me. I'm saying it's great because it is a great story. They're expert storytellers. You know, if you take a look at the, um, um, the other, there's six nominees in each category. It's also up for best cinematography and, and, you know, it's Red Bull and it's ESPN and, you know, it's reputable people and these guys know what they're doing. I mean, yes, I was in it, but I didn't create the film, so to speak. You know, I didn't put the music and I didn't put the storytelling. I mean, I had no idea what they were gonna, what they were gonna say or how they're gonna present it. But they did a beautiful job, and reflective of that is this nomination for best picture. When you are doing your kind of like keynote speaking or like motivational talks to different groups of people, is it when you, the first time you did it was it weird for you to realize that what you're saying could have a very positive impact on someone's life to the point where what you kind of look at the mirror and you're like why is mark pattison having the impact i am on these people i've never looked at that in that way you know um uh, i i love talking to people and all i can do is relate my own personal story right, right? and my story is really simple which is you know, this was me. I'm not perfect. I somehow or another was able to wiggle through five years in the NFL. And then this awful stuff happened. And then out of that, I, uh, out of this tragedy, you know, I created that into an opportunity and then one by one. And if you look at all these different things, they're all interconnected, but that, that, that the thing that makes this so extraordinary is that Anybody can do this stuff. Now, maybe they're not doing, you can't play in the NFL or maybe you're not going to go climb Mount Everest, but action creates reaction. And that's right. the whole, it's only because I stepped out there. I put my nose out there. I said, I'm going to go do this. And I followed through and I didn't quit, you know, these different things. And you'll never know where, how far you're going to get or what your human potential is 
until you go out there. And most, I'm telling you, the, the, the biggest difference between me and most is that I don't quit. That's the only difference. That's the only difference is so many things. I don't quit. And many people do, and they don't realize that. You know, when when they're sleeping, I'm out working. When, when they're going to bed, I'm still grinding, you know, and it never ends for me. It just keeps going. And not everybody's built like that, and that's fine. But if you truly want to do something great and you want to have success, then there's no like secret sauce to this. It's usually the hardest guy that's up and at them, the early bird gets the worm, all those little stupid things usually has the most amount of success. There's never been a guy or a girl that is worth the least amount that has had the most success. It doesn't work like that. Before I let you go, I know you also started a podcast, the uh, Finding Your Summit podcast, which is awesome. I think you're over 200 episodes now. Um, what's it like for that, putting yourself out there, talking to other people? Like, Do you find motivation in others? Or is this because I, the way you, I, some of the episodes where I'm kind of like, this is two alpha people, and not necessarily meeting that like you're the top top, but two people that have no that that have no issue talking about their life and what they're trying to accomplish, and I, that's where I find the motivation. Where two people are like unabashedly themselves, and I think that's one of the cool things about your podcast. Yeah, you know, I, I they I, I've never made any money from these, and they cost me, and I keep asking myself because it's the it's kind of the grind of going out and tracking these people down, as you know, and then booking them. I love the talking part. It's the booking them part, which makes it hard. I wish I had a full-time booker, but um, I just always find so much inspiration from others because a lot of the people I have, we've all had bumps. We've all had obstacles that we had to come over. And it really honestly keeps me motivated when I have conversations, you know, like this with you. Or, or where I'm on the other side of the mic and I'm asking the questions. And, and again, I go back to that, 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 that another, I think, element and ingredient why I've been able to been successful at some of these different things is because I have this power of curiosity. It's like, why? So like, if you went and did something external, like, well, why'd you do that? And, and, and if you just keep peeling, a lot of times, ultimately, you're going to find, you know, the true answers and that people are willing, then I'll keep like, stripping it back. And right. I just, you know, I'm not trying to like create some kind of Oprah show or anything, but at the same time, it's where are these people getting this motivation because we all get motivated from some, it doesn't, doesn't come out right. of the right field. So that I find is very fascinating. And the conversations I have, I always get off and it always, every single time it's a reminder of that's the reason why I do it. Yeah. It's awesome. And, uh, I got motivated just talking to you the last 40 minutes and, uh, this is, uh, it's been awesome. And I, I, I can't wait to see what you climb next or what, what new thing you're going for. And the Matterhorn. Uh, oh, awesome. Going after the Matterhorn. Love it. And, uh, but yeah, this has been awesome, Mark. I, um, thank you for your time and everything. Thank you for what you're doing and thank you for, uh, the stuff you're doing for epilepsy and stuff. And, uh, it's uh, pretty awesome. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Love being on your show today. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the Chop Fit. Over the course of the past year, the Chop Fit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourselves as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10. For $10 off your chocolate order, it'll change your life. Thank you.
I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.